Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host, Allison Jones, and today I am joined by Tara Manel, the Senior Vice President of Scientific Affairs at the American Physical Therapy Association. Tara, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So we're going to be talking about workforce challenges in physical therapy, but before we jump into that, uh, let's start by giving our listeners a little bit of your background. So um, I've been at the American Physical Therapy Association for just almost two years. Um, prior to that, I had been at the University of Delaware, and I was an associate professor in the physical therapy department, but I was also director of clinical services and residency training. So throughout my career, I've spent time in academics, but um, in academics with an embedded physical therapy clinic inserted within the department itself so that we um, saw patients and, and gave treatments and build and did all the things that um, a physical therapist does in an outpatient um, type setting. And so, so that's what I did for my first career um, for the first 28 years. And then I came over to the American Physical Therapy Association just shy of two years ago in order to um, lead the um, division that we have, which is called Scientific Affairs. And that's inclusive of um, our physical therapy journal, which is our premier journal for scholarly activity in the profession, and our career advancement division, which includes um, all of our educational opportunities for our members and non-members um, to learn more about physical therapy, and also our uh, entire practice and innovation department. So all of those things are, are within the scientific affairs unit. And then we also have a research component as well. Okay, great. That's quite a bit to cover. <laughs> you have a big job there. Um, okay, so as I said, uh, we're going to be talking about workforce challenges today, uh, and specifically the impact that's having on uh, physical therapy industry. And this stems from a conversation that happened a few weeks back in a previous episode of Therapy Matters. So my co-host, Scott Rongo, spoke with one of your colleagues, Justin Moore, about the challenges and the opportunities that are facing uh, therapy over the next five years. And they talked about a couple different areas, but one of them uh, being uh, workforce challenges. Uh, and they covered uh, challenges generally. So today we wanted to take it a step further and do a deeper dive into the dynamics that are shaping physical therapy workforce, how it impacts the industry, and what the community uh, at large can do about it. And there are multiple factors affecting uh, physical therapists, uh, the workforce, uh, including the supply of uh, physical therapists that are available, uh, the demand for services, job satisfaction, uh, educational debt, and that's just to name a few. So there's quite a bit to unpack there. So let's, let's dig in. So my first question for you is, you know, it's no secret that there is a shortage of uh, therapists right now. It's a pretty regular headline uh, in the news. It's something that uh, we hear quite often when we're when we're talking with practices, and 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 um, it's a challenge they run into quite regularly. So my question to you is: How serious is this shortage, and what's driving it? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, it's really something we're trying to start to really unpack. And and as you described, it's such a dynamic um, entity that it's really about what what are all of the components? Because it, we we're pretty confident there's not a singular 
um, component. Um, our graduation rates have gone up. Um, it's a small increase on a regular basis because of, of the size of programs, but it's not going down. And so, um, so it's not that, that that level of supply is a challenge. And so, so I think there are some factors that are driving increased demand. Um, and, and that's a good thing. It's certainly a good thing for the health of society because we know that so many people with musculoskeletal as well as other conditions that physical therapy helps aren't getting the care they need. So the idea that they could start to get the care they need is a good thing. And that's, that's actually a demand we want to see go up um, because we know that there's un- underserved, not unserved, but underserved. Um, and that's something we really want to get at. So we certainly know that there's a dynamic on the demand side that's that's probably very real. Um, we also do know that there was, at least by one study, a definitive health study, um, indicated or suggested that almost 22,000 physical therapists may have left the field in 2021. Um, that that would be a significant blow to the supply of physical therapists. Um, the idea that people left the field and whether or not they returned is something that we're going to have to um, watch to find out if that was a temporary or a permanent change. We don't know the answer to that right now. And it hadn't been looked at in the way that they actually did the study. That particular way of looking for that loss hadn't been done that way. And so we also need to understand how um, reliable that process is and whether that's actually telling us something um, you know, critical or not. And so we're, it's going to remain to be seen, but it's something that we now really need to watch. Um, but if, if, if it's true and, and it's, it's very possible that it is, you know, that's almost two graduation cohorts of two different years just mm-hmm. for that one exodus. Um, but we also think that that's a large exodus. I mean, we don't have anything to tell us that that many physical therapists were leaving on a regular and ongoing basis for many, many years. Um, and so understanding why that happened, whether that's related to the pandemic and its consequences or there's other reasons, is clearly something we want to understand. But maybe more importantly, we want to say, okay, well, one critical factor is to make sure that those that are in the workforce stay in the workforce. And maybe those who've left and are willing or interested in coming back in some capacity, part-time. Um, and so what would it take to facilitate their return to the workforce? And some of our colleagues um, in the field have been talking about some programs they're even putting in place, you know, which is transition back and come work for us and we're going to help you transition even if it's only going to be one or two days a week that you choose to work for us. So they're trying to really reignite the workforce that may have either left or reduced their workload. Um, another thing that we're hearing from our, our constituents and members about is um, a decision that some physical therapists are making related to the number of hours that they want to work and that they are more interested in working um, not full-time 40 hours a week, but a lower amount of full-time, maybe 34, maybe 38, maybe 32. Well, if four or five people do that, you're losing an individual, right? Because right. The, the hours add up to another whole whole human. Um, so that's another thing that we're starting to to look at is, is it the number of bodies or is it the number of hours that they're working? And is that another way of trying to capture some of the challenges as as really just examples of things that we're trying to keep our eye on? So that's, that's quite a few uh, different factors that are um, contributing to uh, the overall issue. So there's a couple things that um, I want to uh, follow up on. Uh, on with 
with you on that uh, topic. So one of the things we hear a lot about is burnout. We hear the term burnout. Um, and that being sort of a contributing factor to people uh, leaving uh, the profession. Um, what can uh, therapists, in your opinion, what can what can uh, businesses, practices, um, owners do to help with the burnout issue? Yeah, it's something to to take very seriously. Um, I, I I think. It's not a stretch to say that most of us haven't really recovered from COVID and it's, it's aftermath. We're not quite the same people we were before. Um, and, and we were surviving. And so, so now we need to switch from surviving to thriving. And that's probably going to take some actual effort. It doesn't just bounce back the way you think, okay, this has now improved so much that I'm just going to go back to where I was. We know that that doesn't happen with patients after they recover from an injury. They don't go back to exactly what they did before. They have to transition back to it. And I think that we're in that transition time now. Um, I think, you know, we, we've, the health crisis has ended by, you know, most measures, but now we need to actually transition back and not just assume we bounce back. So things that, that employers have been looking at, um, and it's being discussed throughout all healthcare. It's not just a physical therapy challenge, but we certainly are having our challenge, um, is what does it mean to allow or help an individual be fit for practice? And, and those are the things that we're doing for ourselves as physical therapists in order to be sure that we are fit for practice, that we are fit to bring our best self, that we have the energy and the dedication and, and the ability to focus on our patients and their needs. Um, and that starts with, with all the things that you can think of to be a healthy person, appropriate sleep, appropriate nutrition, appropriate activity levels. Um, but things that, that, um, that particularly employers are looking at is what kind of services might physical therapists need that they haven't accessed previously. That can be mental health services. It can even be apps. You know, some, some um, employers are providing calming apps to their therapists as, as a perk, you know, things like that, that you say, okay, these are the things that we could do to reset ourselves so that we have that energy, compassion, and that depth that we need to draw on because there are many times where we are put in very difficult, um, challenging circumstances. And so it's important that we have that um, energy uh, to draw upon when we need it in in practice. Um, they're also looking at flex, different types of flex schedules. Um, you know, I've heard of everything from four-day work weeks to... Um, trying to balance your work schedule so that you you mix some administrative with some clinical so that you take a break from being what we call on the floor or, you know, particularly hands-on with a patient or an mm -hmm. individual patient. Um, and and something else that I know we'll, we'll want to talk about is administrative burden. Um, it's the other things that, that overload the therapist beyond the care um, that we, if we could reduce those, you are giving them more time. And so that's something that, that we really think is an important factor. Before we jump over to administrative burden and digging into that, um, let's, let's stay on this and talk a little bit about uh, the shortages. Now, are, are these shortages um, everywhere or, or are there particular areas that are suffering more than others? Or do we know that? We don't. And, and that is something else we're trying to understand. We certainly know that there are, are have been um, shortages in rural areas, as an example, and that's been going on for some time. 
We don't have um, strong evidence across the entire country where that is. Um, there are certain states, for example, that have better information about where physical therapists live, work, um, and other states that have very little to no data on that. So um, it's actually quite um, idiosyncratic to the individual state that has information. Um, but there is some movement and effort in across the states to try to encourage states to collect more of this data so that we could literally say, oh, there's only one physical therapist in this area that's certified or specialized in a specific area. So, for example, you could have quite a few physical therapists in an area, but you might have none that have peds training, pediatrics training. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there's a lot of physical therapists, but you still have a pediatric um, physical therapy shortage because they are there, but they're not trained in the area that where the care is needed, for example. So we have that potential. So even when we have enough physical therapists in some areas, we might not have the right mix of physical therapists and their specialties um, and practice areas in that exact area. Um, the other challenge, as you noted, is that we don't know the exact number or ratio, you know, for a set number of individuals, even by a specific age group. How many exact physical therapists is the right match to provide care for that group? We don't have that ratio available to us right now, but I do believe that it's something that we will seek um, and hope to determine. It might take years, you know, to figure that out, but I actually hope that's something that we start to look for and look look to determine so that we can much better, you know, have much better information as well as direction to people mm -hmm. on where the best places are um, with the greatest needs. And are these some of the initiatives that uh, the APTA is is sort of championing in, yes. in the industry? Yes. We're really looking um, ourselves at what do we already know. We're trying to identify what we know so that we can identify where to invest the energy to find out what we don't know. Um, and so we're just um, preparing and putting out a demographics report that's going to give us a sense of the things, some of the things that we do know. Um but the individual states at the level of licensure have a lot of ability to tap into their licensees. APTA doesn't directly have that link to the licensees, but the, but the state regulatory boards do. And so that's a group um, working with our partners at the Federation of State Physical Therapy Boards, working with them um, to say, yes, that is information that's really valuable. And they are working on a proposed minimum data set that would could be collected at the level of the licensee that could then give us much greater and richer information than what we have right now about who's where, what they're doing, and maybe more importantly, like how many hours are they working, not mm. just that they are employed. Um, some physical therapists want this 34-hour week and others are working full-time and doing gig work on the weekends, either in hospitals or in their, you know, CrossFit gyms. And so we do, that's a handle of, of understanding who's working and how many hours that we would need to know, again, to identify a need. Because if people started, stopped doing the second job, then we would need a physical therapist available to pick up that work or we would be underserving again. So really understanding literally how much people are working in hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. It'd be wonderful if we could accomplish that. So another another item um, that we we really haven't touched on just yet is student debt and the impact of uh, student debt on uh, uh, workforce shortages, workforce challenges. Um, 
uh, folks potentially uh, seeking out other opportunities because of the burden of of debt. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Student debt, um, you know, is is another complicated issue. But when you think about really boiling it down, it's it's the costs that have been incurred, and then the payment that's received um, throughout the career, and it's the relationship between these two. And there are many, many ways to impact that. For example, if salaries were higher, then that debt burden would be lowered. If the debt burden started lower, then then it would already that would be lowered, and then the salary would be could be sufficient at a lower level. So it's this relationship. The other thing is how long a program is, right? If someone gets out six months earlier and starts working full-time six months earlier, that other individual who's six months more in a program has the foregone earnings of not working for six more months plus the payments of tuition, living expenses, et cetera, for that time period. So there's a lot of interplay and relationships that can happen that can get this student debt ratio to a better place, a healthier place, a place that's more tolerable, if you will, um, for the purposes. And we have to figure out that relationship and where best to modify it so that we're, you know, so that students aren't overburdened in their um, beginning. And if they can't get that caught up over their career with their income over their career, then they could be stuck kind of behind that eight ball the whole time, right? Because they can never quite make enough. That's where some of the gig economy that we see is coming. Some of the youngest therapists are working extra nights and weekends so that they can they can gather extra money to pay off that debt so that they they resolve that sooner. Um, but that's there's there's quite a few programs looking at and ways to help with scholarships and reducing um, costs so that so that our physical therapists are not coming out and physical therapist assistants aren't coming out with a big burden uh, or a burden that they can't overcome. Now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when we were when we were prepping for this session, I think you mentioned that there's some potential legislation that uh, is is being considered right now uh, to help reduce some of the uh, potential student debt burden. Yeah, there's a physical therapist workforce workforce and patient access act that is that APTA has been spearheading with co- um, colleagues, but. Um, the idea is to allow physical therapists to participate in the National Health Services Corps. And that has a loan repayment in for those who are involved in rural and underserved care. And so being recognized as an individual in that core would then allow physical therapists to be able to apply for that. Um, and that's $50,000 over two years. Um, and so it's $50,000 of loan repayment for two years work in rural and underserved areas, which as you can imagine, is a double win, right? We assist with the student debt, but we also um, bring excellence and and care to those who are not receiving the care that they they need and deserve right now. Um, so it really is a win win, and and we're really hopeful that that will um, be successful. Okay, so let's go back to um, administrative burden. Understand that there's also being there's some work that's being done to help lower administrative burden for PTs. Um, tell me a little bit more about uh, what the challenge is for PTs around administrative tasks and how um, the, I believe it's some legislation to help reduce that burden. Yeah. So literally this this past month. Um, 
um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, um, came out with their 2024 Medicare Advantage final ruling. And in that, they specifically spent um, a decent amount of, a, of, of addressing some serious issues related to prior authorizations. You know, prior authorizations are the opportunity to say that someone is is allowed to receive the services that they're going to receive and for how long. Um, and so one of the things that Medicare identified was that Medicare Advantage um, individuals were not necessarily always receiving the same services as Medicare fee-for-service individuals, and that they basically sought to, to make corrections to that. So they um, they basically wanted to be sure that prior authorizations were valid for as long as as the individual and care was deemed medically necessary. They put some limit on the use of prior authorizations that they really need to specifically be used to slow, they're slowing things down to say that this person needs this um, care because they have a specific diagnosis or they meet the medical criteria to receive that care. And so that's the purpose of it is to say, wait, let me check, right? That's a prior authorization. Before you do it, let me check. Um, but they were being, being more clear that it can't be used for other reasons. It can't be used to delay or, um, or not allow care. And so, so they're being more clear about that so that Medicare Advantage programs are, are more clear on what their expectations for them are. Um, and then there was, there's always this, this challenge where medical advantage enrollees are switching plans. And so then they fall through the cracks and it said, nope, you can't do that. If it's medically necessary and they need to receive it, you can't allow that to happen as well. So those are really important. One, because CMS does set the tone. Um, but two, they're identifying where an important, something that was put in place with a, a purpose in mind may actually have unintended consequences. And now they need to be more clear to stop those from happening so that patients can get the care without undue burden on the care providers in order to let them get the care that they need. And we've seen that spill over slightly and and hopefully more and more into private payers. Um, so Aetna and United Healthcare have both put in some provisions to improve prior authorizations and reduce some of the burden associated with them. And again, following the lead, um, CMS, it, you know, does set that tone. So it's, it is really important that we take these as huge wins because it, it is a domino effect and it will affect, um, uh, pro, you know, some of these burdens like prior authorization, even in other payers besides um, Medicare and Medicaid um, services. And what we found, and we had done a study on administrative burden um, in the field, and what we found was um, between 77 and 83 percent of front desk people take more than 10 minutes per individual patient just on prior authorizations, per per individual. Um, and so just think about that time. Um, and they felt that if prior auths had been, could be cleaned up and streamlined, it would probably save 25% of, of um, admin or staff and clinician time. 25%. That's massive. So that affects our supply-demand issue. Yeah. Right? If we find this time, then we can provide more care. So we, we this these are so intertwined um, that that that's why there's it's hard to give a short answer to some of the great questions because yeah. if you change this, well, then maybe we don't have as much of a supply problem, right? Like every time you you change one, you actually influence the other, 
Um, but another interesting thing that, that creeps in is 40% of clinicians identified that, that prior authorization was used as a denial when prior authorization wasn't required. So you're, you're denying my service on something that isn't even a required um, litmus to meet to get the services. But it's an easy button to push. It's an easy thing to create. Mm-hmm. So the, this burden that's out there is waste. It's just waste. It can be described in monetary terms. It can be described any way you want to, but it's waste. If, if we reduce the waste, we will be able to provide more and better care, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was reading a reading an article the other day just about um, administrative waste across healthcare in general, and the numbers are uh, just so enormous um, on what uh, we are, uh, the healthcare industry in general is wasting on administrative uh, tasks and administrative burdens. So um, it would be wonderful if we can fix that problem and allow uh, our clinicians to spend more time with patients and focus on patient care, which is absolutely our ultimate goal. Amen. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're, we're just, we're going to solve the problems of the world right here today. That's right. Um, so We've been talking a lot about um, different pieces of legislation. What can PTs do to get involved and advocate um, to make sure that these uh, legislative pieces are being heard and um, getting the attention that they need? Yes. So the American Physical Therapy Association has an advocacy center um, on its website, and it it is really easy, intuitive, and useful. Um, not only do they have locations where physical therapists can log in and instantly send information to their, their senators and congressmen, like literally it, it populates things for you. It's, it's so well done. They have things at the state level as well as federal. They even have patient resource centers where, for example, there was a time in our clinic where we ended up having a Medicare issue pop up and we set up a laptop at the check-in station and we said, if you have Medicare, sign in here and let people know how you feel about what's going on. And and that was through the APTA because they had an advocacy center and it was for patients to, and we just made it easy for our patients to do it. Um, but but the American Physical Therapy Association is, you know, has lobbying efforts. There's absolutely, I mean, I'll just be honest, you know, I'm not a, the best lobbyist you've ever met. Um, it's not my comfort zone. Um, so my philosophy is if you're not going to go do it, then you donate to let people make sure that the people who do it have the money they need to do those things. And, and that I feel strongly about, about that in your professional association is that you seek out the, the ability to donate towards your political action committees and recognize that those entities are representing you and they need the resources to be successful. And that would be an example of, of the PAC which is PT PAC, which is our political action um, group. Mm-hmm. So donation, as well as truly letting your voice be heard. Um, I, I've been on the Hill. Like I said, you, I'm not the first person to go, but um, I've been there. And and what really resonates with people is is the stories, the actual patient stories. And physical therapists are the ones who have them. Um, and they have them in spades. And when they write in and and use a story and describe an actual patient that got caught up in, in whatever issue is trying to be resolved, it makes a difference. It genuinely does. Um, and there's also Advocacy Academy. 
um, which is a there's a training program at the American Physical Therapy Association to help people who want to be more involved in advocacy, um, but they might not have the confidence and or the skills, right? Because it's a skill set. And there's opportunities to learn here at the American Physical Therapy Association about how to do that. Um, and then we have this really rich model where the American Physical Therapy Association is um, the entity, but we have what are called components within our federated model. So there's an American Physical Therapy Association group in every state. So you can literally go to your own home state group and say, how can I help? What, mm-hmm. are, we, what are you working on? Who should I talk to? Do you need a story? Do you need a patient that I could connect you with? that you could bring with you when you go to talk to your state legislators, as an example. I mean, there's so many, if you think of it as a a wheel with spokes, there's so many places where physical therapists can connect to get involved um, in order to fight for what they need and deserve. And, um, And we need all of those voices in order to be successful. Excellent. Yeah, I like that. So, so get involved, let your voice be heard, donate, um, and, and just, you know, participate in your community. Absolutely. Excellent. Make change happen. Yeah, make change happen. I love it. Um, So, you know, as we're wrapping up here, what are uh, the main takeaways that you want our listeners to walk away with today? Um, You know, I really, I want people to realize that the dies are not cast here on any of these issues. Um, You know, it's about understanding and recognizing what we need to work on and diligently working on it till we solve it. And it is what physical therapists excel at. We do it with every single patient every time. We see what we need to do and we diligently break it down and we attack it until we win. And we work with the patient, we collaborate, we agree on what's important and we facilitate their success. And that is the same thing that we can do in the challenges we have in workforce. And it, it does start with understanding it, right? That's the part we're working on. And then it's then it goes to breaking it down into what could I do about that and then being relentless about pushing that forward until we succeed. And and I it's a long game, not a short game. Um, but I do think that overall the health and the longevity of our profession will benefit from all of those activities. And and it is something that Every single physical therapist at one level or another, um, everything from the dollar to the to the mouthpiece to the efforts to the march can do something about. There's a place for everyone in, in making these things happen. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That is some amazing insights today. Um, great conversation. We are out of time, but I do want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we probably could have gone on for another uh, hour or two on this topic. So, um, uh, you know, certainly more to come on this. Uh, I want to thank our audience for tuning in uh, to Therapy Matters podcast. As a reminder, this is your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. 
Braintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.